like Son Like Father with Antonio and Willie Harrison, a real open and honest conversation between a father and son. There ain't no love like the love of a father. Hey, Dad. Hey, son. So we've led up to the part where we're close to ending our stay at the Milton home. And you talk about how at this point is where you first tried Coke. dope. Yeah. Yeah. So a disclaimer, we're not going to follow a timeline for this episode. I specifically want to talk about the drug use and drugs period and that wherever it jumps around and however it goes, it goes. But after this episode, we'll get back to the timeline. But I had some questions and some different experiences and things I wanted to share and, and wanted to hear from from you. So that's just how I want to rock this episode out. Okay. So from last episode, you told me you were at Betty's house. Right. And at Betty's house, you asked where your brother Bo was. Right. And or Uncle Sandy. And they said he's in the garage, but leave him alone. Right. You said you kept pestering. Why? 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 And they said, just leave him, leave him, leave him. And you walk in and. He's sitting there with a pipe in his hand, firing up. Okay. And uh, at that point, I didn't know nothing about crack or cocaine. I'd never tried it. Have you ever heard about it? I had heard about it because it was, it had just came out. It was really, really powerful because it was real cocaine. It wasn't the shit that you have today where it's mixed with all kind of shit. Okay. So it was really a strong drug. Okay. So you found there's a difference in what first came out as compared to what's out yeah, around now. What's out now, I mean, it's like, it's nothing really. Yeah. Okay. You had to smoke a whole lot of the shit to really get the effect of it. So you see Sandy, describe to me the situation and how it all went down. Well, I walked into the garage. He was sitting there smoking a little glass pipe, about as long as your, your index finger maybe. And uh, he was inhaling and blowing out all this smoke. So I asked him, I go, what the hell is that? So he goes, you don't even want to know. And I looked at him, and he was just all mellow, kicked back. So I said, well, let me try it or whatever it is. He goes, nah. So I kept asking him, let me try it. So he said, uh, well, I'm going to try it, but don't say shit. So he broke a little piece, put it on the pipe. And at that time, like I said, it was, it was really Good cocaine, barely mixed, just enough mixture to turn it into rock form. So I hit it, and it's like, damn. Immediately, it was like a cloud came over me, and I just sat on the couch with him, and we were just sitting back talking and shit and uh, smoking. Now, when you say a cloud, do you mean like a hazy fog in the sense where like you can't really comprehend what's going on, or do you mean just kind of a feeling blanketed your body. Just kind of a feeling blanketed my body whereas I, I it was like I was uh it was almost like an out of body experience. It was like I was one with everything and everything was one with me and it was like uh, a feeling I had never experienced and I liked it. So that's kind of what it was. And you and Sandy were able to sit there and have a conversation you Oh were yeah, we were sitting there having a conversation. Okay. Because as we got older and the drug use was more, you know, whether you be in the garage or in the house, right. you didn't seem too relaxed at all. No, because the change is, is that almost with any drug, if you're in a situation where there's pressure or stress or you try to conceal it, it affects you in a different way. But when you're in a situation where you can just do it freely you're not worried about anybody break busting in over you or anybody you don't want to know seeing you do it. It's a different effect. Uh, so you kind of answered this um, a little bit, but what was so great about it? What was, I mean, the feeling? What was so great about it? Did it take you away from reality of what's going on? What? What? Totally, totally took you away from reality. You were just in the moment right then. In the moment right then was no problems, no situations, no headaches, no nothing. It was just you, and uh, sometimes you forgot about the person that you're sitting there with. 
Right. You were just totally uh, kind of oblivious to everything. Now, was there anything you were trying to escape in the real world? No. I wanted to try it because he looked so at peace doing it, so I wanted to try it. And then once I tried it, I go, I kind of said, well, okay. I see why he's doing this. Like, uh, this shit is pretty cool. It's all right. But if you if you wanted to try it because he looked at peace, were you not at peace? Yeah, I was. I, after I did it, I was. But I mean before you did it. I, yeah, I was at peace. But I didn't know the effect it would have. Oh. I'm saying that's the effect it had on me. Okay. Yeah. And I knew being there with him in the garage at my sister's house, like we were totally safe. Nothing bugged me, no noises or nothing else. And that's another difference. If you do it in a situation where you're somewhere else, the least little bit of noise, not where you are, kind of spooks you because you're looking around like, what the fuck? I hear something, you know. And you're looking to see what's going on and all of that. But there it was like I was totally in a comfort zone. Is there anything you think that triggered your curiosity to try drugs? And I don't mean necessarily that moment in Sandy, but I mean back before when just trying alcohol or weed or anything else. Like, Is there anything that you felt was a trigger for you or something that might have happened back in the day that made you even curious? No, no, because I had never saw nobody do it. And after I did it, once I learned to, to know when people had did it, I was doing different drugs. I was able to pinpoint a lot of my nephews and nieces and even Sandy that, oh, I remember when they were like this or they acted this way. Hell, they was high. I was able to see that. And then I saw people in the street. I was able to tell after I had did it for a couple of times that to know automatically, oh, they fucked up. So you didn't know much about it at all then? No. Not at all. No. Just the stuff you've heard from the news. Just and the stuff I've heard from people talking about it and shit like that. Now, after that, was it a feeling of you got to feel this again? Well, it, it was a feeling not that I got to feel it again. It's that I wanted to feel it again. Okay. So it doesn't take long because once, well, back then anyway, once you made a purchase, the word kind of got around to the dealers and the people, that who you was and shit. So... They was really available, and we lived kind of in the hood, so, you know, it was there. Right. Yeah. From there on out, or at least in that initial phase of starting to do it, were you, was it a weekend thing? Was it an everyday thing automatically? Was it a... Well, when I first started doing it, it was kind of a, every once in a while, because uh, I hear people talk about when you do it, first time you do it, it's like, automatically there's a craving and you got to have it. It wasn't that way. It was like, I may go for two or three weeks, even a month, and then I'll do it. I'll be around somebody who's got it or i smell it. And once I smell it or see somebody doing it, it's like, that's when I want to do it or that's when I would do it. Okay. Yeah. But after that, it got worse. Yeah. Well, that's yeah. that was my next question is when did it change? Because there was, I mean, I've, I've seen times where you went, long stretches with out doing it or yeah. doing it here and there. And then I've also seen long stretches where it was a daily occurrence. Yes. Yes. That's kind of what happened. And initially for the first few months, it's kind of every once in a while because, and, and in doing most any drug, even with marijuana, there's different grades of it. Most people expire to the best grade or the best form of it, whatever the drug is. Mm -hmm. And once you get that, it's like, damn, okay. And it, if you out of it, you're trying to find what you had, that same grade or that same form of drug that took you there, wherever it was it took you. So that kind of be, it kind of became a rat race to find. And people always talk about, counts talk about the initial high, you try to chase that. I, I, don't, I didn't see it that way. I kind of saw it as though, like I said, there's different levels of grades of any kind of dope, even alcohol. Certain alcohol you can drink don't give you the same feeling as other alcohol that you drink. Right. So I kind of feel that's what it was for me. And you were always trying to find the best. And I was always trying to get the best dope. I'd go in L.A. 
make out the park. Sometimes I'd stay overnight and make out the park. And when I did, it it was because they had the best dope. And I was there smoking with people I didn't know and or either in a motel and shit like that. So what was the different feeling or effect from high grade to low grade? Well. Because you said the high grade had you at peace, sitting, right. relaxed. Right. One with everything. What What about the low grade? Low grade had more speed in it. Okay. That's where you get all jittery and you can't sit down. You can't. You're always moving around or you looking out the windows or you listening for different noises and shit like that. Okay. Because that's what a lot of people mixed it with was speed. So I've noticed something that as we've talked about this in the past, last episode as well, and even today, you refer to it as cocaine, which is what the base is. Right. But once it's in rock form, it's either rock or crack. Right. Do you call it cocaine because you feel like the rock or crack has too much of a negative connotation and it makes you feel uh, bad about it? or No, because the cocaine is, is the high. Okay. The mixture to turn it into rock is just that, a mixture. It's an additive to people can cook it and make it rock. And uh, the powdered cocaine, I've done that, but it doesn't really doesn't have the same effect. You get the cold drip, and I have people that do harem say they get the same thing when they shoot up harem and stuff. They get the cold drip in their throat, stuff like that. And, and snorting powdered cocaine is kind of a mellow high, but it didn't do it for me. And I guess that's because I smoked rock before I did the powder. Is rock the furthest or the strongest thing you've ever done? Strongest thing I've ever done. Was there anything you were scared to touch? Harem. Never. Maybe that's because I'm afraid of needles, but harem, no. I've been, been with people who shot it up, and I look at them, I go, fuck, dude, I ain't never doing that shit because they would nod out. or I've seen people just nod out with the needle in the arm, fall out of the chair on the floor and shit like that. It's like, hell no, I'm not going to do that. So Okay. Yeah, I've never tried that. So you kind of mentioned this as well, but I know that, Smoking dope has put you in some pretty fucked up situations. Really? Is there any one, two, or three situations or things that stand out like being in MacArthur Park or in hotels? Or Oh, hell yeah. A lot of them. For example, at that time, people would rob you, stab you, shoot you for dope, for crack. Uh, I remember being in MacArthur Park, and these two guys walked up. One, they called him uh, Green Eyes. And... uh he was, matter of fact, he's from Pasadena. They walked up and Green Eyes go, hey, OG, what you got for me? I ain't got shit for you, dude. What do you mean, what I got for you? So his partner kind of circled around behind me. I put it this way. I had been in MacArthur Park and the Third Street gang sold dope in MacArthur Park. That was their territory. And I knew a lot of those guys from buying dope from him. Mm -hmm. So uh, this guy moved his shirt and he had a pistol. So I'm going, oh shit, here we go. He go, I want whatever you got, man. So by that time, these three Mexican dudes had souls going on. So I heard a whistle and I kind of look around. It was about five or six of them came over because we were sitting on the, I was sitting on a bench with these, this one guy and this girl. And about five or six of them walked over and go, what the fuck is going on? And I go, these motherfuckers here are trying to rob somebody. The Mexican dude told him, said, uh, hey, man, you don't come out here and do shit to our customers. This man is our customer. You don't fuck with him. As a matter of fact, get out of the fucking park right now. And they was looking around. They got, I could tell they got all scared shit because them dudes would have fucked them up right then and there. I'm surprised they didn't. So they left. And the next time, about two or three days later, I was back in MacArthur again, and I saw Green Eyes, and I didn't even know if he had a, a gun or not, but I was so pissed by what had occurred. I tried, tried to get my hands on him. He started running, and I chased him all through the park, and the police saw us, and they started coming through the park in their cars and shit, and I had dope on me, so... I just put it in my pocket, and I had one pocket with a hole in it, 
and the dope just went out of my pants leg and dropped on the ground. I just kept walking, and they stopped me and searched me and all that, asked me what was going on. I told them that guy I was chasing tried to rob me and shit, you know. So, and one other time, I meet this Mexican girl in L.A., and I, I don't remember where I was or what at MacArthur, but I went to her apartment. But we had to go up these back stairs of like the second floor. And we got in the apartment and uh, she had a sliding glass door that leads to the balcony and shit. So she said, uh, I'm gonna go freshen up and blah, blah, okay. But all the while, the minute she left the room, and I've always had this second sense about me that I knew when something wasn't right. Right. So I felt like something going on here. So the first thing I did was keep a visualization of the whole room and the doors and unlatch the sliding glass door and just slide it a little bit so I could grab it real quick and slang it open if I had to get out of there. So about two minutes later, the door bust open, the bedroom door, and three cholos bust out. You know, cholos with the khaki pants, the soccer yeah. pool. Well, they bust out of the bedroom, and I just slid the door open, jumped over the balcony, hit the ground, rolled, got up, and all I heard was bang, 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 bang. They were shooting and shit. Those were just two of the incidents that but I had a lot of incidents that happened. So two, two things about that. One, um, you said there was a hole in your pocket. Was that on purpose? That that was on purpose. Okay. That, because you never knew when the police were going to show up. So you just put it in that pocket. And- yeah. I had it. And whenever you, I was on the street, I kept it in my hand or my mouth. Oh, okay. So I could swallow it or either put it in my pocket. Even if the police said, hey, you, come here. Put it in my pocket and it would fall on the ground. I step on it and either kick it or something. Have you ever had to swallow it? Oh, yeah. Does that have an effect on your body? Some people say it do, but it never, I guess you'd have to swallow enough of it. Okay. But I never had no more than like maybe 20 or $30 worth of it that I had to swallow. And normally it's in a plastic bag anyway. Okay. Yeah. Because that's how people get it in jail. They put it in plastic, swallow it in the visiting room. Then they go to the bathroom, shit it out, and <laughs> rig through the shit to get it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So with these type of situations going on, whether it be in the park or this lady's apartment, mm-hmm. I mean, it never dawned on you to be like, maybe I should stop going back to these places and stop fucking with this? No, because at that time, I mean, I don't want to say I was strung out, but more, more than likely I was. Uh, it had got to the point that I was only feeling... Like I was in control if I was high. Yeah. Yeah. And everything when you were sober, it just seemed like chaos. Everything when I was sober was, was chaos. It was like, I'm not in control of it. It's like, oh, fuck, man. I got to deal with this shit. Oh, goddamn. But when I was high, it was like, I deal with whatever. It didn't matter. So then do you ever feel like you, I know you said you, you don't know if you would say strung out. Did you ever feel like you ever hit rock bottom? Yeah. I once. Because I bought you a gold chain that was, I think I paid 400 and some dollars for it. Yeah, I remember the chain. Yeah, and uh, I took it and I pawned it. I did it twice. I pawned it once and then I went and got it because I had the money to go get it. And the second time I pawned it, I didn't have the money to go get it. And at the time, it was like, oh, I done fucked up. It's like, how am I going to? explain this shit because you know I can't get it those people are not gonna hold it they know what it's worth so you know they're gonna sell it or they're gonna keep it borrowing money from people that I know and not paying them back even when I was working when I was driving a van I used to go to the dope spots in the van Uh, coming from San Bernardino I'd have dope in the van now were you able to hide this from mom for a while for a while, yeah. For a I mean, while. you just didn't do it at home? I didn't do it at home. Okay. But, but once I started staying out two and three nights and shit, she knew something was up. Well, yeah, because I remember there was a point where you would be gone for two to three days. Yeah, yeah. Um, do you remember the first time she approached you about it or that you told her or that she found out? 
I remember her. She didn't know what was going on. I remember her asking me, what was I doing? She just thought it was some other woman. Right. You know, and it was, but not in that sense. Right, yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of crack whores and being in motels and all that shit, but it wasn't no other woman. Uh, cocaine was the other woman. I remember her asking, what was I doing? And I think we talked about it, and uh, she was saying, well, what made you decide to do that and do this? And, you know, well, it's like, it's not I decided to do that. I did it. I liked it. It's happening or it happened. Was this just like a, a conversation or was she pissed off yelling and screaming? No, it was more or less a conversation because during those times, it's, it's like that's what mom does now. <laughs> during yeah. those times, we used to talk. Now, there's been quite a few times that you've been arrested and put in jail right. for dope use. Right. If you had to take a guess, how many times do you think you've been arrested for dope? Four. Four? Four. How much time did you have you actually spent in jail? For dope? Yeah. I would say two years. Okay. Yeah. One of the interesting things was it was almost a sigh of relief mm-hmm. when you went to jail. Right. When like you were on big binges. Right. Because one, I knew that you could handle yourself physically. Right. Two, it caused you to become sober, which then allowed you to start working out again and getting bigger and right. looking healthier. Um, so though you weren't at home right. and I only got to see you, you know, when we came to visit, right. it was almost like, I wonder if that's a better place for him until he can figure out mentally where he wants to go or what he right. wants to do. Right. Did you feel like it was somewhat of a safe haven for you? Uh, I mean, yes. jail, jail can't ever really be a safe haven, no. but yes and no. Yes. Because at the time that I went, well, two of the times that I went, I felt I needed to go or I deserved to go. The other two times it was like I got caught. I was fine. I got caught. What were the two times you felt like you deserved to go? When I think the, the point I stayed like eight months or something and went to this program up in the mountains. Uh-huh. Yeah. At that time I deserved to go. Is it because of a, the crime you committed or because you were just too far into it? I was too far into it. And I was committing petty crimes in order to get it. That was one of the Pacific times that I remember. And uh, see, I I don't know how others deal with such things, but the dope usage kind of hit me as initially. I have to say that I was hooked, I was strung out, but not certain things I would do and certain things I wouldn't do. Like what? Like maybe hurting somebody physically in order to, to get, get high, killing somebody, uh, something of that nature to get high, which I've known people to do. You wouldn't do that stuff? No, I wouldn't do that. But deceiving people, asking you for a loan or, or to borrow this or borrow that when I know I got no intentions of paying you back. You know, I may have intentions of paying you back, but right then all I want to do is get high. How do you feel about the fact that it was your brother who gave you your first hit? Uh. I don't feel anything, really, because I didn't have to take it. And he kept saying, no, you don't want to fuck with this. Because didn't Sandy get strung out? Uh, Sandy's always been strung out. Yeah. (laughs) He's been an alcoholic and addict for I don't know how many decades. You know, but the odd thing about him, and I, I think one of the things over the years of using cocaine that kind of drawed me in, it was that never, he would drink, smoke, Day, every day, every night. But he would get up early in the morning and go to work every day. Never missed a day's work from being drunk or being high. He would get up every morning and go to work. He worked at Roberts, consolidated, at Coppet, that warehouse where I worked at with him. Mm-hmm. He worked there for 20-some years. Never missed a fucking day. And I was totally amazed because I saw people in the street who couldn't get up to go get themselves some food left on go to work yeah but that's what he did i said well okay well hell he's handling it but you weren't able to handle it the same way right because it started to affect your work and well in the sense that you ended up whether it be manipulating or deceiving or well, yeah. doing stuff you wasn't supposed to and ending up not having the employment right because it, it did turn to my manipulation and and scheming and getting around this around that because the second time it was when I went into treatment in L.A. 
at Kaiser to keep from losing my job. And I went into treatment, and that was a short time. Um, do you feel like the drug controls you or you control the drug? Now it controls me only if I do it, when I do it. But if I don't do it or I'm not doing it, no. And what I mean by that is if I can go weeks or months without touching it, but when I smoke it, for those few hours that I'm smoking it, it controls me because it's like total paranoia. Uh, only for a minute, the first two or three hits, it's like, okay, I got that feeling, it's fine, and I'm cool. Then all of a sudden, you know, all the speed and all the rest of the bullshit that they mix it with would kick in. And the high is gone, and you're just totally paranoid and everything else. So seeing what it's done to you in certain situations, seeing what it's done to other folks, and then also understanding that, you know, a lot of people, you know, a lot of people think, well, they make like, for example, a lot of people say you should legalize drugs because people are only harming themselves. Right. But there is a collateral effect with you, the family. Yeah, that's not true. You're only harming yourself. Why do you think that is? That alone never made you want to stop completely and just stay committed to being sober. Well, because when later on and later on in the years, when I would do it, it was like I would have time to myself to do it. I didn't have to be around the family. They didn't have to know what I was doing unless they unannounced, unannounced show up or call or whatever. And if they called, no, I wouldn't answer the damn phone. Right. But unless they showed up and something like that, and it was like for three or four hours, and then that was it, and I'm, I'm back to normal again. So a lot of people have asked me, you know, growing up, especially because my closest friends, mm-hmm. uh, growing up, if I look through it, Kevin, though his dad was there, he was definitely an alcoholic and yeah. beat on his, mo- his mom. Right. Anthony didn't have dad. his dad around. Uh, Dundee. Dundee didn't have his dad around. Brandon didn't have his dad around. And everybody would always say how lucky I was to have my dad around. But no one really knew the situation and stuff we were going in. But I still felt lucky. Right. And I never really blamed you for using dope. Right. Because I felt like once under the influence, it was no longer you. And from all the stuff I had read or heard that it was such a powerful addiction that, you know, it kind of takes over who that person is and the things that they would normally do they or normally wouldn't do they now do right so there was a lot of things that happened that i kind of shrugged off and didn't really bother me that much and right. i don't know if i became numb to the situation or got tired of uh experiencing it or people being upset like mom being upset like there's so much there's only so many times you can hear someone cry over something right before you become desensitized to right. it right but when i think about if there was ever anything that did bother me, there's a couple instances that came up. Okay. And I'm going to, there's only, I think I have like four or five and two of them are kind of generic. And then there's three specific incidents or two specific incidents. And I'm going to share each one. And then I just want you to kind of respond to it any way you want to. Okay. Uh, So the first one you mentioned already was pawning gifts. Right. Or jewelry. uh, Whether it was a Christmas gift. I remember, I think there was like a boom box. Yeah. Um, the necklace. I know also I think mom was saying that Nana's jewelry was gone. The jewelry, I don't, I remember her telling me about that, but I don't remember pawning the jewelry. I remember pawning some jewelry once or twice, but that was, for, it wasn't for drugs. That was for money for the house to do certain things. Now, she had a CD collections. I know I pawned that. I didn't pawn it. I sold it to the dope man. Okay. Now, so pawning your kids' gifts. Right. Talk to me about that. I mean. Well, uh, at the time I did it, I wasn't worried or concerned about it because, like I said, I had did it once. And at the end of the month or week, I was able to go get it. Right. But you knew that it was going to be noticed to be gone the next day. Yeah, I mean. Well, it was like that could be explained that I need money for this or for that. And I, I pawned it. But don't worry about it because you still got it or I still got it. Okay. But when I pawned it and didn't have the money to get it, it was like that's, that was the fucked up part. And uh, that was only one of the times that I really felt like, you know, yeah, you need to do something. You need to 
go somewhere because that's bad. Okay. Yeah. Uh, another thing was I do remember you being gone for days at a time. Yeah. Did you ever think that that had an effect on us as young kids? Uh, at the time I was doing it, no. After I did it, came home, yes. Because I knew by the way you and Jay would look at me. I knew by, why well, I automatically I knew mom because like I said, she thought it was some other woman or something. But automatically I knew by the way you and Jay would look at me. You didn't respond any different, but the way you would, I would see you sometime looking at me and stuff. And what did you think we were thinking when we looked at you? What's happening with dad? Where's he been? What's he doing? You know, he don't, do he love us? Do, do he still love us? I had all kind of things running through my head. Did that trigger you to want to go back? Uh, no, it triggered me wanting to not do it at all, you know, but obviously that didn't work. Right. Yeah. Is there anything that is like a big trigger for you? To do it? Yeah. Whether it be in the past or, you know, present? No, there are times when I don't, I, I can't think of a Pacific trigger, but there are times when it's, I'm at home by myself, nothing is happening, nobody's around, everybody's off doing whatever. It's like, fuck. I get in my car, go to the liquor store, get me a little drink, come back home, sitting there, and I know I got like four or five hours before mom shows up, uh, before you come home or uh, whatever, and it's like, damn, man, this shit is here. Boring as hell. And that's why at times I would go and find part-time job to do this and do that just to occupy myself. But then those times, like I said, when I was there, it was like, well, fuck. I drank my little bottle because I'd get a half a pint or something. I'm going back to the store, and it would hit me. Well, go get something to smoke. I mean, you got four or five hours. The shit ain't going to last no more than two to, two to three hours. Oh, okay. I'll go get a 20 or 10 or 20. And that's what I would do. Did you ever think about the effect it would have on a boy seeing his dad do that or a daughter seeing her, his dad do that? Like in the future, would that mean that he would be likely to do more stuff or she would be likely to try to find a mate that was similar to her dad? At the time I was doing it, no. No. Not at the time. It was only after that those things come to mind because when you're doing whatever it is you're doing, None of those thoughts are there. Those thoughts, the thoughts you have is about getting high, and that's what you do. Then afterwards, that's when all the guilt, the remorse, and everything else sit in. And that's how some people stop cold turkey, whatever it is they're doing, because of those things. Did that remorse ever bring you back to doing the drug again so you didn't have to feel it? No, no. I never did it because of that. Okay. The other thing, too, and I guess you kind of talked about it was because things were mixed differently, but there was a lot of times it was done in the house and whether we would come home or already be home, you know, we'd see you very paranoid, wide eyed, looking out the curtain, holding long kitchen knives. What's going through your mind at that point, if you can even refer to what's going on in your Uh, mind at that point? I mean, with us specifically being in the house while you're doing that. Well, then it was like there's a feeling that. Someone's is gonna show up. Uh, someone's gonna break in. I got to do them before they get to me or anybody in the house. It's like I'm totally on guard, totally apprehensive, totally paranoid. Is what it was. Did you ever notice whether it was while you were in that state or afterwards that if we were in the house, me and Jace typically typically would stay in the room? No, not really. And I don't think it was because we didn't necessarily want to see you like that because we had seen you like that before multiple times. I think, and I don't know for Jay, but for me, I was worried that if you said or did the wrong thing because you're holding a weapon, right? is he not going to know that it's me, his son, right? and stab me or something? Right. I mean, were you always completely aware of? No, I was always completely aware of who's around me and listening being acutely sensitive to hearing any kind of noise, I knew whether a door would open or one that was open was anybody was coming in. And the people in the house, I was acutely aware that of their presence, them being there. 
but it still didn't prevent me from being paranoid. And that's something, show you how the shit works, if that's something that I can't really remember my doing with you guys when you were small in the house. I don't really. Well, see, I, I don't remember it being done in the house yeah. until we were at the Lincoln home, which is when I was in middle school and high school. Okay. So elementary, I was completely unaware. Okay. Even on Oakdale when the first part of junior high. Okay. It wasn't until we moved over on Lincoln, and I think I was like seventh, eighth grade, where right. it was pretty obvious right. what was going on. Right. And, and on top of that, I mean, when mom got upset, she would just say things. Yeah. And we'd be the ones around and she'd be talking to us, but she just would really just be venting and blabbing. Exactly. But we're picking up everything. Right. You know what I mean? So. Yeah. yeah now, Lincoln, I remember, but Oakdale, I, I don't. See, I remember in Oakdale, you being gone more for days at a well, time. Okay. Yeah. And That's what Link, I'm going to say. And at Lincoln, you being at home at in the home, room or downstairs shit. in the living room. Right. So, okay. A few more incidents. Um, Once I remember we drove out to L.A., we were in your Audi and we went around to this area that was real shady and it kind of had like a, I don't even know if you want to call it a U-turn or a cul-de-sac and it's got this tiny little hill and it looks like a bunch of people use on the backside of the hill or uh, something like that. And it's got kind of a gate around it. Um, I think that was Third Street. And then you got out the car, left me in the car, went to go pick some up and then we started driving back home on the 110 but you pulled off i think around like avenue 64 where that park is mm -hmm. and pulled to the side and was like i'll be right back i'm gonna go to the bathroom and you went in the bathroom and left me in the car and proceeded to smoke dope but i was in the car for like two and a half three hours really yeah and then i got out the car at one point and went into the bathroom to try to find you because mm -hmm. i didn't know what the fuck was going on mm -hmm. but you were no longer in the bathroom so i just went back and waited in the car okay do you remember that? I don't remember that. Because I, I, I knew what you were doing. I was right. just like, damn, he couldn't even wait till we got more than likely to the house. It, it, more than like it was. Yeah. So do you do you think that, I mean, it's, it was that strong to be, I mean, essentially putting me in danger, Put whether he was getting it or, or using it? Uh, apparently so. Yeah, apparently so. At that time, yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, because there's and, a and that's not something that I don't think it, anyone means to do. But sometimes or at times that's what they do. Yeah. Yeah. Because they want to get high. And I noticed that because there'd be different times where there are certain responsibilities like got to get picked up here yeah. or, you know, but you weren't able to make it. I remember once I was 15, I think I was or 14. And it was my first I think it was 15. I was a freshman in high school and it was my mm -hmm. first job. And I was working at the South Pasadena Police Station. Oh, yeah. And I guess you were too high to come get and me. And if I did anything, I wasn't even tempting to come that way. Okay. Yeah, especially South Pasadena. Because Jay, at 13 or 12, drove the car from home to come pick me up. Really? And when I saw that it was her and she pulled up in the front of the, the police station, mm -hmm. I was like, get your ass in the passenger seat. Right. Like, I'll drive you home. And it was in the old Cutlass. Okay. Um. Two other things, and I'm curious about your response to. One was, so my senior year of high school, right before football season started, and I don't know if this was one of the times that you were talking about that you felt like you deserved to go, but you ended up being locked up for almost the whole year. Mm -hmm. And I had a great, tremendous football season, had a pretty good basketball season, uh, rock star track season, and... The school called mom to say, come to the award assembly because he's going to win senior athlete of the year. Okay. And we're going to present it in front of the school. You had just gotten released and home the day before. Right. And I'm excited because you hadn't been there for the senior season of sports, which was my best in high school. And you're going to see me get this award and kind of know how I'm thinking, you know, like he's going to be real proud of me. And and as I go up to the stage, I'm, you know, I, I don't see you or mom. I just assume you guys are in the back and right. they call my name. I get the award and I walk off stage and walk up the aisle and mom's in the back and I walk up to her and I'm like, where's dad? And she just kind of gave me this look. So I handed her the trophy mm -hmm. and I left out the building and walked home. Mm. Um, do you remember mom talking to you about that? What's your, yeah. I mean? Yeah, I definitely remember that because at some point 
I mean, I knew about the water ceremony, and at some point, it just kind of left my mind because I was thinking about getting high, and I did because I had prepared my clothes and everything to go. And uh, with certain drugs, it's not like uh, smoking weed. You can take a hit, a couple of hits, put it down, go do what you got to do. Once you take that one hit, it's like if you got a mountain of it, you're going to try to smoke it all before you do anything. Right. And then once you smoke it all, you ain't going nowhere. You ain't finna do nothing. Yeah. So that kind of what happened. And I knew when I came down how upset you was about that. I felt that. And uh, that was another time that I felt that I deserved to go be locked up or go wherever. But the crazy thing was like you had just come home from a year stint the day before. Exactly. Like it was 24 hours, you know. Um, yeah. Do you ever think about, because, you know, you've heard my stories in college. We've talked about the different drugs and things I've right. always tried. Um, right. I mean, I think growing up in the situation we did, it it's the reason why there's certain things I don't touch. Like right. I don't touch cocaine. I don't touch heroin. Right. Um, anything with needles or in rock form or up your nose, like I can't fuck with. Right. I think I tried cocaine snorting it one time right at like three o'clock in the morning super drunk and high but it did nothing for me right i was just like well, i don't even know why i tried it uh but there has been other stuff i've tried um you know uh a lot of the stuff you would typically see in colleges ecstasy shrooms marijuana alcohol weed pills oxycontin you know uh, right. things like that did you ever think to yourself that the reason i did that was because of you later on i kind of did and uh I thought about that real long and hard, and uh, but then I thought, well, my son's a really smart guy. Uh, he's a long ways from being a dummy. Uh, he saw the effect, or he see the effect that it has on his dad. I don't think he wants that. Yeah, because uh, I just want to tell you that was never the case. I mean, yeah. I've never internalized it that, oh, I want to be like my dad in that sense, or yeah. that. I'm curious why he felt that way. I was just curious because once I first started drinking and smoking weed, which was at the age of 12, I liked the way it felt, and I was yeah. curious about other stuff. Well, see, if you remember, I always used to tell you I was never worried about you in any situation, and that was kind of the reason why, because I kind of knew your mindset, how you thought about things, the way you did stuff. Yeah. And... I say what well, Tony would never jeopardize himself uh, by doing something that's totally going to take control of him in any kind of way. And a lot of time that doesn't work because mm -hmm. young people do do those things. Yeah. But I've always had this ultimate confidence in you that you wouldn't do that. And thank God that you didn't. Yeah, no. And if there was anything that was ever too strong or not too strong, but like strong. Yeah. I was always in a safe environment. Right. I wasn't going to be the guy roaming around the street at 3 o'clock in the morning. I was going to be the guy at the house. Exa um, exactly, because I would get up at 3 o'clock. I would leave the house at 3 o'clock to, to walk a mile to the dope man's house. Yeah, see, I yeah. wasn't going to be doing that. Yeah. I mean, the only one time I think I put myself in some, not necessarily danger because I didn't go anywhere far, was trying acid at like 15 Right. And then taking mom's car to go get some food at like four o'clock in the yeah, morning. Because you're hungry and shit. Yeah, and, and the car broke down and that was a crazy fucking story and all over the place. Um right. but I remember you too taking the blame for the car because we had to when we brought the car back, because we had the neighbor, Nate, who we used to hang out and smoke weed with, we went and woke him up and he took his car and pushed it up the hill from the Rose Bowl. Right. And we parked it in the front of the house when it was initially parked in the back. And I remember you taking the blame for that because mom, I think mom automatically assumed you had taken the car. Exactly. And you took the blame for it and you just came down and told me, like, if you're going to do something, mm -hmm. tell me about it. Right. Which was similar to what you were talking about with Eric. Right. The only time I think I kind of laughed at, I don't it laughed or shrugged off, but was kind of pissed too. Like, you know, who the fuck does he think he is telling me this was. I remember one specific time in high school, I think I was a senior or junior, mm -hmm. and I didn't have class to like second or third period, or maybe I had first period and had a couple freeze. Right. But I came home, and I think you had just, 
been on a binge the night before and I went in my room and I smoked some weed. Right. And you were pissed that I was going to school high. Right. Like you, you don't, you're not supposed to be going to school high. That's not, that's forward. And I was kind of just was like, what the fuck? Right. Like, I, do you know what I just witnessed you do last I got night? All like, the shit you do. Yeah. Yeah. You trying to tell me I can't go to school. Right. high? Like I'm on some weed. Right. Like, you know, what the fuck is he talking about? Right. But that's the only time that, you know, I, I was kind of just like not taking heed to the word or advice that right. she ever gave me. Right. So that's that's kind of the only things that have ever really stuck with me. And they don't hurt me or bother me in the sense where I think about them or hold a grudge towards you. Right. But they're strong memories. Right. You know, um, right. they're things that were I don't necessarily call them milestones in my life, but that affected me. Right. So today, mm-hmm. where are you at with would you, Well, first off, would you consider yourself an addict? Yeah. So where are totally. you at? Where are you at today with your addiction? Well, uh, my addiction today is is that I've even been almost for a year and not did anything, and then I'll do it, and I'll do it maybe twice a week, once a week, and that's kind of been the pattern. Maybe once a week, skip a month even, then do it like two days straight. Then don't do it no more for another month or two weeks. Then do it again. Yeah. Okay. If you could go back to that day with Sandy in the garage, seeing him, would you take that day back? Uh, no, I don't think I would. Okay. I don't think. Why not? Because life if, is a collection of experiences right. that you go through. It either makes you better or makes you worse. The person that thinks it all, uh, uh, he learns from his experience. Either he learned how to deal with the situation or he don't, or he just sinks totally to the bottom. I think I've gained a lot of information, a lot of knowledge from the drug usage, from just being around people that use drugs in mm-hmm. the street, rather than the street, because I know a lot of other people who have professions that smoke crack, and yet they maintain, they hold a profession, they live life, so I, I don't think I would. A lot of the experiences that I went through, a lot of the shit I did concerning you and Jay and my family, I would change. Right. But other than that, no. I kind of asked you about, you know, the good side or the good feeling you get from it, but also some of the things you've went through. Mm -hmm. If you had to pinpoint what's the worst thing about it, what would that be? Uh, The worst thing about it is not having any inhibitions. So you're just Superman. You don't. Yeah, you don't care. Being locked in motels with two or three holes from the street, doing all kind of freaky shit, and it don't matter because, like I said, there are no inhibitions about it or whatever. And then a lot of times I've done that and came down, and maybe two of them are still there, and now the feeling is gone, the dope is gone, and I'm looking around like, what the fuck? It's kind of like remind me of in the service. We'd go out to these beer pubs, mm-hmm. and we'd get stone drunk. The lights are low. You're in the club. You see this fine, good-looking-ass woman. You take her home, or you go home with her, or you go to a room, and you wake up the next morning, this bitch ain't got no teeth, bald-headed and everything <laughs> else, but she looked so fine, yeah. you know? And you, you that next morning, you like trying to ease, get, get your clothes, ease out of, but not waking her up. Because yeah. a lot of times I left those motel rooms when everybody was asleep or either during the night or early that morning we were still smoking dope. Because another thing with cocaine, you can smoke so much of it that continue smoking it, you lose the high. Oh. You're stone sober. And I've had that happen. It's like I look around like, what the fuck? And then it's like I would feed them the dope and say, well, like, I'm going to get some more dope. And I would leave never go back. You're what, 67 now? No. <laughs> Don't make me old as I have. 65? 65. Okay. So you're 65 now. Do you think you will ever quit completely? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Is that a goal of yours? No, not really. Yeah. Not really. I just think that I will. Okay. That's like smoking cigarettes. I think before I die, I'm going to stop smoking. It's all, uh, let me put it this way. It's all in a matter of really having a desire to want 
to do something in order for you to do it. Right. If you don't really have the want or the desire to do it, then you're not going to do it. You're spinning your wheels. At this point, I don't use money that I work for. I don't use money that is given to me through my retirement, uh, Social Security, uh, money that I work for. I don't even use money to get high, even to buy alcohol. I still do like certain street hustles. And I don't want to put that out there. Yeah, no, I got you. I still do certain street hustles and make money. That's how I do it. Or when I do it, that's when I use the money to do it. And it's never no more than 30 to $40. Okay. And I'm through. No matter how high I get, I'm done. Is there anything else on your mind that you want to say or share or for anybody who's listening? or? Well, uh, my only thing to say to anyone is don't do anything that controls you if you can't control it don't do it when you can't control it it controls you and it takes you someplace that you don't want to be you don't know where you are you don't know what's going on that's where all the paranoia come in you don't know who you are so if it controls you there's a problem but if it's sort of like drinking alcohol you most people know their limits before they get drunk yeah they get high they feel good they want to dance party. They talk their ass off or do whatever. But uh, they know that next drink just may take them over. They're going to pass out or be vomiting. It's, well, some people vomit before they get drunk and shit anyway. But uh, it's kind of, it, I kind of compare it to that. And there's big difference between cocaine and alcohol. But an addict is an addict is an addict. Right. No matter what it is. Right. Yeah. So? We'll move forward from here and back to the timeline to the end of the Milton House and on to 3798 Oakdale. But I wanted to give you a glimpse of some of the things my dad's been through and also us as a family. So as we move through the timeline, you kind of get a better understanding or have an easier way to comprehend the certain things and situations that happen and how our family grows as a unit and to where we are today. Until next week. Love you, Dad. Love you, too. Thank you for listening to Like Son, Like Father on the MPD Network. For more shows and more episodes, visit Multiple Podcast Disorder Network. That's mpdnetwork.com. Or leave a comment by emailing info at mpdnetwork.com. Hashtag Like Son, Like Father in the subject line. You can also visit the Facebook page at facebook.com slash mpdnetwork. And follow the Twitter feed at Harris Antonio. 